0: Okay. The, the s and This is Motley Fool
1: Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is worth 7% less than it was last week. I'm Scott Phillips and with me, as always, the doctor is in the house, Dr. Renee Ban Mahati. How are you, Good, how are you? I'm exceptionally well, thank you, mate. We've just come off the end of a heated conversation, a positive and friendly heated conversation, so there's plenty of energy in the room. We may touch on that later, we may not. Uh, in the meantime, mate, 7% down. The podcast, well, the good news for our listeners is the podcast now 7% cheaper. The bad news is they will pay nothing for it, so it still doesn't cost anything, so maybe that's good news anyway. But of course, the 7% we're talking about is the Australian economy. I was a bit surprised by that. We'll talk about the fact we are now officially, officially because we already knew it, but it's now official. The numbers have been printed. We are in recession. Now we'll talk about the Australian dollar, possibly on its way to 80 cents, despite all that. AMP is putting itself up for sale. Buy now, pay later. You may have heard of it. Apparently it's a thing. It's Massive in the news again this week, share price and business wise. And then there's Zoom. Zoom is a company that is making Buy Now Pay later look pedestrian by comparison. And we will, as always, dip into the full mailbag. That's a full That's a full list, mate. Can we get through it in less than an hour, do you reckon? Oh, that's a try. Let's give it our best shot. We'll see how we go. <laughs> Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, we can't start without talking about the big bit of news. The the only news really that's been that's added this week in the Australian economy and it's terrible news for a whole lot of people. Officially, we had confirmed what we already had known already. The economy is seven percent smaller than it was three months earlier. Um I, the, the, it's the largest fall on record. Now, we should say that quarterly GDP has only been produced since 1959. So just ignore those headlines that kind of you know imply that it's the, the largest fall ever. It's not. It's only the largest fall since we've been recording it. That being said, 60 years is a pretty long track record to to break uh, and to have the worst performance ever. So, you know, kind of a, a big deal, not worse than the Great Depression, thankfully. And certainly a very different set of scenarios, mate, but it's hard to escape. For every $100 of economic activity three months ago, We've now got $93 in the most recently completed quarter.
2: Yeah, and yet not surprising, right? I right. mean, um, if you have a forced shutdown where a lot of things are closed, um, people are at home, mm. you know, and therefore people's also jobs are at risk or jobs aren't there, um, you would expect that there's reduced economic activity. I, I mean, you know, frankly, mm. I would say that, you know, 7% actually is not that bad. I would have thought I would have thought, it could be 8%, could be 10%. Yeah. It's
1: actually much better than almost... But almost every other developed economy, I think. I mean, we saw Singapore down 40%. I think Sweden was down 86 I saw on Twitter a couple of days ago. Um, again, like, <laughs> it's, being the, being the least worst isn't anything to brag about. But as you say, and again, I'm not saying we're necessarily better. I'm not, not saying we're anything, you know, we, we don't necessarily deserve to be better or worse. We just happen to be, um, given the choice, again, we're probably lucky being Australia rather than almost anywhere else around the Western world.
0: Yeah,
2: so uh, again, like, I mean, there's, there's a number of things here. It all depends on, again... So GDP depends on how, like, uh, it's being calculated. It also depends on what the government is doing, right? So the government could, for example. Uh, build stuff yes. <laughs> that actually nobody's going to use ever <laughs> right so it could be effectively yeah. non-productive yeah. stuff yeah. and GDP would go up
1: right right, right.
2: right? so uh, I think you know like
1: and equally if you know for example if last quarter we'd had a cyclone and there'd been a whole lot of damage repaired this quarter we didn't have one GDP exactly. in theory would go down even though we're no worse off I- in any other meaningful sense yeah
2: or you know you could have a flood and a mm. storm and whatever <laughs> last right, quarter right. and this quarter therefore relatively speaking you'd be better off yeah, yeah exactly, right? exactly so yeah, you know, like, i it's like any other number. I mm. don't pay too much attention. I think what is worth, in my mind, the most important number, it's not a GDP number, mm. the most important number is really the unemployment numbers and the yeah. underemployment numbers. Yeah. That is what I think I would watch. Because that effectively really translates directly to the people. Right, A GDP could be whatever. But what, you know, if the government basically gave free money to people, mm-hmm. And people were not um, un, not employed. Yeah. The unemployment numbers would still still low yeah, exactly. or, or very high, <laughs> and and the GDP numbers would look just fine. Yep, so yep, yep. Um, you know, are, are people employed? Are people you know therefore happy? Are people yeah, doing yeah. going about uh, you know utilizing their full potential? Mm-hmm. That's what I yeah. So, so you know, like many other economic headlines, I generally ignore them because economists are they, <laughs> you know they're good for something, but they're sometimes not good for many things. Right, right, um, right. And GDP is one of the GDP. Actually, in my opinion, is increasingly an irrelevant metric, okay. um, in my view, largely because you know you can do capitalism without capital, and if you can do capitalism without capital, really it does not. The, the way we measure GDP maybe mm. is not relevant. But that's anyway, that's, so is it
1: the GDP isn't relevant, or just that the calculation needs to be updated in your mind?
2: I think the single most important metric is employment. And I think, and and the related, the second related uh, metric would be Uh wage increases, Uh right? Because if if the wages are relatively stable and going up Uh with an upward trend, I think that shows that your economy is delivering wage growth. Um, And at the same time, if you have most of your people um, effectively happily employed, I think that is a sign of, in my mind, the most important sign of a healthy economy. You know, you can have GDP growth at 1%, but if everybody's employed and everybody's getting wage growth, that's fine.
1: Uh -uh. I think that's right. Um... I think obviously you know as you say but the unemployment numbers and the wages numbers probably there's some, there's some standard of living measure somewhere and all that that talks about how well we're all doing both on average and maybe in some sort of you know distributed fashion to make sure everyone's getting some of the pie um, means and medians and all that kind of stuff modes notwithstanding um, I think it makes absolute sense and I completely agree um, Bhutan has gross national happiness so maybe maybe we should move down that path
2: yeah, like, I mean, you know, you could have happiness, you could have happiness index. I don't know how you'd calculate. You can have yeah. a human development index, um, mm. right? I mean, a lot of these things are intertwined. But I don't know if I had to look up, you know, one metric, I'd think um, employment is important. I think for people, if people, you know, if you have uh, unemployment causes a lot of other problems, yeah. right? Um, right, it really does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So there, yeah. there are, f- f- even if some people are unemployed and getting money, yeah. it it could have psychological mm-hmm. issues, right? Mm-hmm. Your, your mental health, mental yeah. health issues, yeah. right? Absolutely. How do you capture that? You don't. You don't capture that in the GDP metric, yeah. right? So indirectly, yeah. you're capturing via the unemployment yeah. uh, um, um, metric, right? So, yeah. so I really think that's the that's the important number. I'd like that to you know steadily go down
1: and a lot We're of venture to... house prices too but uh, there's something I mean you know again mortgage stress for example people who have houses in theory have have some degree of wealth in air quotes but again the, the more of our mortgage or the more of our salary that goes towards paying off the mortgage for example another another part of you know are we genuinely well off or are we on on this sort of you know depressing treadmill there's all those things really to take into account right
2: that that's right right yeah so like I mean the whole you know you might have home equity and you might have mm-hmm. home debt and then if you have mortgage you you land up spending you know whatever 30 percent of your or right. income in, right. in mortgage uh, that's going into one sector not in the other sector So, but again relatively speaking if people are employed and they are paying yeah, yeah. their mortgages how they're choosing to spend is a different question I think yeah. that's a secondary question in my mind yeah, how okay. people are choosing to spend right somebody could choose to spend 40% of their income or mortgage somebody might yeah. decide to spend 20 right, right and right. they might go and buy something else for the remainder that mm-hmm. they've got mm-hmm. left so that's a personal choice but mm-hmm. I think if you have the income then you have those choices that you can make but if yeah. you you know that that income can come from the government for free yeah, yeah. right support or the income can come because you have earned that has a different meaning you know i think again yeah, it's true. difficult to quantify that in numbers yeah. um but you know your happiness index or you know mental health index or whatever you you want to talk about mm. so i think that's the most important thing i like that number the unemployment numbers to actually start going down um that will make me happy
1: now, speaking of that, then let's look look forward from GDP because I saw some numbers from a mob called Capital Economics. I haven't looked at the methodology. And I don't know their track record, but they're actually suggesting that. Remember, of course, the numbers we just saw during the week uh, were actually numbers for the June quarter, hmm. which finished sixty-two days ago. <laughs> we're literally more than two-thirds of the way through the next quarter before the first one, the last one's re- released. And Capital Economics, at least, and again, I don't, I don't have any view on their, their success or otherwise, but they actually believe the September quarter will be positive. So, in fact. By, by, by the very barest of, of metrics, it's entirely possible we're two-thirds away way out of recession and don't yet know it. We won't know until December 2 whether that's true. But, I mean, you know, to the extent we're talking about being in recession now, if, if, the, if the September quarter is positive by even the smallest margin, we'd be officially out of recession and maybe we already are by now as we talk about this horrible number. Um, also a reminder, I think, that, you know, the numbers are useful to some degree. Um, they do tell us where we have been. They give us some sense of... You know the the most up to date data you can find, but it's entirely possible things are already on the improve.
2: Yeah, that that is definitely possible. I mean, um, again, this is hard to tell, right? I mean, you'd only know it post facto once the uh, once information is out there. Um, Again, like as I I said, I don't, you know, maybe I don't pay too much attention to the GDP number. What Mm. I really, as I said, I pay more attention to the Mm. employment number. Mm -hmm. So if the unemployment numbers start. Improving significantly, I think yeah. that that would be positive. So one way to think about that is is there's been job creation mm. in uh, New South Wales, uh, basically rest of Australia except for uh, Victoria, right? So that yeah. that is a net positive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, Victoria has had job losses, so that I don't know how much of how much is being yeah. compensated for.
1: It is the problem with unemployment too and I think that's why it's important because recessions last for one or two quarters but it normally takes a couple of years for unemployment to actually get back to pre-recession levels. So as much as the headlines tell one story, you're absolutely right to say, well, that's something. <laughs> yeah. But we have to, uh, uh, we, you know, it's worth just thinking a little bit further about you know, it will take a long time for this pain to be unwound for a whole lot of people. While we've kind of moved on, in air quotes, the headlines will change, and economic growth will be positive, and we'll say the recession's over, and people all want to celebrate. But there are there are longer issues than, than just that.
2: Yeah. So just, just just to one final point, right? You could have say three, four quarters of really, you know, down, down, down. Mm-hmm. Once you have hit enough down, yeah, well, eventually you going to go up. Exactly. Right. And then yeah. the headlines will change yeah. from all well, you know
1: go from 180 and then back to 81 doesn't exactly say you yeah, reached exactly. which yeah. is
2: why i said the the absolute metric which is the people employed yeah. is the really useful metric yeah. and you know uh, and i think we want to pay attention to that i, I don't have a view of how that is going to you know that's going to mm, uh, mm, mm. shake out um, it looks to me, it appears, at least the New, New South Wales, for example, is doing better than what maybe people would have expected on, a, on the job front. So yeah, yeah. Um, there are lots of unanswered
1: I've got to say, and I was so, again, let's not dwell too much on GDP, but I have to say I was kind of surprised it was that bad. The, the A lot of the forecasts were 5 to 7% from, from people who should know this stuff, economists. Um, retail sales was positive last set of numbers, and we're recording this on Thursday, the 3rd of September, tomorrow – um, retail sales are due out again, and the tip is they're going to be positive again. Jobs are being created. To your point, i got to say I was a little bit surprised. I kind of thought that with with probably positive job creation, probably positive retail sales, I, I didn't think we'd be positive. I, I, we knew, knew we were in recession, but I thought we'd do better than seven, I have to say. And I don't know if there's a – maybe it's, to your point, a, a calculation or a measurement question. Um, certainly, we know household spending was 20% of income. Which is just uh, in, we never have those numbers, right? Such as the dislocation, if it goes from six to eight, you know, everyone does cartwheels. Went from I don't remember six or seven to to twenty percent. Um, these are some screwy, screwy numbers. But uh, yeah, to some degree, hopefully, hopefully at least, we're on on the path forward. Do we? Do we dare hope that we're already starting to improve?
2: Um, I, I don't know. As I said, you know, again, I think um, you don't, you know if you have. Multiple quarters of bad mm, mm, mm. things, then eventually things will, at some point, improve. So yeah. I, you know we're we're two quarters down. Maybe we're you know we're already on the mend. We, it's again hard to say, but um,
1: yeah, you can I only just hope,
2: <laughs> just <laughs> only hope. And you can just watch for the numbers and see what happens.
1: Now, mate, how is it possible that we have a massive recession, mm-hmm. and yet the Australian dollar seems to be absolutely, you know. <laughs> The most weightless thing in the world. There's gravity everywhere except for for the Australian dollar. It, normally, you know, a bad economy, a tough economy. Frankly, when we went to the GFC. The dollar fell. At, I want to say 55 cents. Um, the 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 Australian dollar was going the opposite direction. It, not that long ago, it was under 70, and then it was 72 for a while, hitting 74 and a half recently. And some people, again, those same economists who thought it was going to get go to 60, now think it's going to get go to 80. So maybe we should uh, take that with a grain of salt. But a recession. But the Australian dollar is going to 80 cents. I guess. How, why, and, and what does it mean for investors?
2: Um, again, this is one of those things that's really hard to pinpoint exactly the what's and the how's and the why's. There's <laughs> yeah. so many factors here. Yeah. Um, so commodity exports have been have been doing really well, right? Mm-hmm. So that's number one. Um, and the number two thing I would say is there's, there's easing everywhere. Mm. But I think the, probably the biggest change, I mean, we're talking about the Aussie relative to the USD, right? So the yeah. big change... Uh, is the fed policy where the fed policy is basically saying that they're going to target mm-hmm. long-term average inflation what mm-hmm. basically that means is instead of looking forward in in the past they would have this dot plots of i guess you know where they think the interest rate should be for a given inflation number yeah what they're now saying is that on average over some period of time we want to hit this 2% mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. that they want to hit right yeah, yeah what that basically means is that you could actually have inflation at 4% and have the interest rate still at zero yeah. or effectively zero.
1: Right, right, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah,
2: um, this the change with this policy effectively means is it's basically a telegraph to the market mm. that the mm. interest rates, uh, the Fed interest rates, U.S. Fed <laughs> interest rates are effectively going to stay yep. where they are yep. for a really long time. Yeah, um, this is net negative uh, for Australia in a way, right? Okay, tell me how. Yeah, because, well, I mean, you know, if you're an export economy, you want the dollar actually to be relatively lower, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, So, the uh, you know, the RBA governor would have been happier for the dollar to be yes. at 70 cents than <laughs> at 80 cents. It just makes his, his job yep. harder. Yep, in exactly. fact, I've seen some speculation now in um, in, in the media or in, in, a, in sort of the economic circles or mm-hmm. those people who make these forecasts that, you know, maybe we will see negative interest rates mm-hmm. <laughs> to counter the, the, the 80 cents. So I, I think that's the dynamic. I think the major driver here is the USD, not anything, you know, and maybe the secondary driver is the demand for commodities, but... Yeah. Um, that would be my interpretation.
1: Yeah, no, I think you're dead right, actually, mate. That's that's certainly the the accepted wisdom and maybe we should be mindful of uh, worried about that. But yeah, the, the weak US dollar in particular, a key one, the, the strong demand for commodities. Interestingly enough, too, I what I was... And we won't get too macro here because it's just probably more theoretical interest than than something we actually can do for our, for our listeners. But um, we've seen the iron ore price continue to stay strong as demand stayed high. And yet the oil price has gone the opposite direction as people worry about oil's kind of impact in, when it comes to economic growth. And I, I was... A little surprised, I have to say. Like, yeah, there are reasons why one might move one direction one might the other in kind of esoteric theoretical terms. But generally speaking, with the economy around the world in such terrible shape, the iron ore price is holding up remarkably, remarkably well, Um, demand holding up pretty well, mostly out of China, despite all this stuff. And and again, you know, that says something about maybe, you know, those who are buying iron ore and using it for some sort of productive use in theory, and yet it's not supposed to give the commodity traders a right flow through to actual broad economic activity it feels like a bit of a disconnect to me am I, am I reading it wrong? so I have a theory about that ah, good,
2: um, okay. you know again that's there's no basis for this theory but <laughs> my, 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 my theory not, really not is either, don't worry. Um, my theory really is that I think you know everybody loves you know as I said I, I, I dislike the GDP numbers because GDP numbers are gamed quite a bit you can <laughs> yeah, g- you yeah. can game a lot of things GDP is the easiest one probably to game for right, a government right and one way to one way to show growth in China is to just do construction. Even mm-hmm. if it is meaningless mm-hmm. construction. Mm-hmm. And the construction requires iron ore. And I think that's part of the driver in my mind right. uh, for um, mm-hmm for for the commodity, right? So there's we should
1: at least n- mean that there's economic activity coming from that. You can't have construction without economic activity. The two, even if it is game, should be linked to some degree, right? Well oh,
2: so there's economic activity of construction happening, right. mandated by government. Right. Right. But that
1: that uh, that's, that does even if it is mandated, even if it's kind of, you know, I'd be like JobKeeper, JobSecure, if it's artificial, it is actually putting money into the economy. It's, you know, those people are working, the people yes, are yes, buying yes, and yes. selling
2: things. Yes, absolutely. I, I'm not disagreeing with that. What I'm saying is that if it is an elevated level of demand, that demand of, that elevated level of demand is not a normal demand, then mm-hmm. it, you would at some point expect normal demand to to settle in.
1: Yeah right, right, right
2: which would mean that the commodity prices would at that point mm-hmm. you know again this is a, this is a question of how what the cycle looks like
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. the commodity
2: prices at that point yeah. are going to fall right, right, right. <laughs> because the, we have returned to uh, sort of a normal demand
1: level okay, so, I see what you're saying.
2: yeah so that, that's my theory about what's going on because i cannot pinpoint any other reason for demand mm. for commodity mm-hmm. other than forced demand creation right uh, I mean given the type of situ- situation we have we wouldn't expect mm-hmm. construction activity to be driving um, you know um, iron ore for example so mm-hmm. that, that that's interpretation for that um, rest of the stuff again I, I don't follow it very closely but that, that's my
1: theory I like it I like it <laughs> let's get to it company specific mate stay tuned Motley Fool Money <laughs>
0: Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M.
1: Poor old AMP, Doc. Now, you didn't grow up in Australia. Uh, I I did, and in my early, early, early years, AMP was the, I'm going to say only, national financial name of any significance. That actually mattered to people. Um, you know, and, and it's is one of those companies, one of the two that I can really recall where back in the good old days, mate, and this is this is a, a bit of Australia kind of maturing, I think, as a, as a country. We had two businesses, two national businesses that were known by everybody. So well known were they, they actually were kind of named in the abstract. So BHP back in the day was called the BHP. You didn't work at BHP, you worked at the BHP, right? It was one of those things, not not that it mattered either, we just the fact you put the in front of it is almost kind of that sense of it's, it's not just a company, right? It's, it's the BHP. It's always like, you know, it's, the something is is a big deal the amp was the other one people worked at the amp you got your life insurance from the amp um now of course we've changed the, the terminology now now it's just bhp and amp and that's just again one of those things uh, maybe i'm making too big a deal of it but in, in 19 you know i've, I've used the example of airlines before if someone had said to you that airline trouble is going to go through the roof you would have bought every airline you could and lost a fortune or i would have okay. the same is true of amp if if you'd have been able to forecast accurately what the financial services industry would look like in 2020 for all of its warts and all of its some good, mostly maybe mostly bad. we'll, we'll hold that over. Mostly bad fees anyway. Um, and you said AAMP is the national. You would have put a small fortune on AMP being phenomenally larger today than in 1975 or 1980. The business that should have absolutely been able to say, "Hey, there's this is massive, great wave. All I have to do is I don't have to catch the wave, I just have to stay there, let like the wave push me." They had to do nothing. You think about combined market caps of Westpac, Commonwealth Bank, um, some of the fund managers. You kind of roll the financial industry together and say, look how big this has become. And poor old bloody AMP is, if not down over the last decade, treading water at best. This has been one of those snatching defeat from the jaws of victory kind of jobs. And now the ultimate indignity, the incoming chairwoman, Deborah Hazelton, has effectively said, everything's for sale. Everything's, you know, it's it's the garage sale where you open, you open the front door, you put a price on everything and say, here's the price. If you guys want it, I guess you can have it. They're bringing in external advisors. They're, they're saying, guys, come and, come and tell us what you should do with all of our, our entire business, literally, either as a whole or piece by piece, is now available for sale. Whether well, they actually sell or not, different question. But man, how the mighty have fallen. This is just, again, I can't quite impress you. There may have been examples in India or Canada or US we've been. Um, but I can't impress on you how much of a institution the AMP was, and to see it, you know, do so go so terribly is almost, I, you know, I, I don't want to wax too lyrical here, but it does feel like kind of a, you know, something of a betrayal of, of kind of what it should or could have been by so many generations of managers who've just completely screwed this thing up.
2: Yeah, um, like I mean, every good thing comes to an end, <laughs> sort of thing. So, Not Apple. Uh, well, I mean it's all. <laughs> it's not as it's not 200 years old or whatever <laughs> that's true you know, AMP is what like uh, 100 years old or something I, must like be, that? I suppose yeah something I like that, right? the
1: Australian Mutual Providence Society was what AMP stands for if you can believe that uh,
2: so I mean you know 100 years of life for a corporation is a long life yes um, you know and in that you have you know you're born you have growth mm-hmm. you have uh, you know uh, st- st- steady, I guess, middle age, and, the- and then you have decline. <laughs>
1: the oh, cycle of- you're, me, you're the company. Just be, just be gentle. Well, just, just be gentle. I'm just talking about, I mean, but this
2: is true for <laughs> this sort of thing has happened to uh, General Electric, yeah. right? I mean, yeah, right. So it's not uncommon. It uh, doesn't surprise me. You know, at some point, what happens is the company just loses focus, is yeah. not able to change with changing times, it's not able to mm, keep mm-hmm. pace and stuff happens and then your blue chip becomes the sort of the you know yeah you know you're on debt watch so yeah not surprising it's been it's been as you said a decade of horrible share price performance oh
1: man and it's funny actually it's a good point I, and I wonder like you're a growth investor anyway I don't imagine you've ever looked at AMP more than for 5 seconds when we talked about it this morning but there is something to the you know the, the life cycle of businesses I I, I worked for a company who I won't name because I don't want to you know um there's some decent people trying their best, but I, the only word I could use to describe that business was calcified, literally to the point of. So, I, I may have mentioned in the, the past, so maybe people put dots together, but when I got there oh, ten years ago, so not not super recently, but close enough. They were still using Lotus Notes as their email mm-hmm. provider. Um, they, I think from memory, I had to I had to specifically ask to use Microsoft Excel rather than rather Lotus as my software because I was doing some work on that. Um, the The suggestions uh, when I made some as, as a new employee of, hey, we should do X, um, were either, no, we don't do that here, or we've tried that before, it doesn't work. And it was just the, the culture of the organization was just incredibly, incredibly calcified. It wasn't a great industry, to be fair. It wasn't a business that was ever going to have hyper growth, but just that sense of it almost felt like what you imagine a staid kind of government department to look like, you know, rather rather than a commercial enterprise that was profit making. It was listed, by the way at the time, um, just a really really tough business. And I guess that does happen, you know, if you don't stay nimble, you can calcify really quickly.
2: That that's correct, and I, I think again that happens. But you know, as our organizations mature, it's mm. really hard to be, you know, mm. I can't really think of a very old organization that is like nimble like when I say you know even right, all right, right. has been around for like 50 years yeah, yeah, and it's still nimble like I mean you know you, the, the software companies you're talking mm, about mm. or tech companies you're talking about most of them have been born in the 70s or the, you know the yeah, true, a- true, 80s true. right so they're yeah. still not there
1: they're old but not quite the kind of geriatric stage just yet
2: yeah IBM is a good example like yeah, IBM okay. has yeah. been yeah. a you know uh,
1: it's been Hewlett right. Packard maybe too
2: Hewlett Packard, IBM. Well, Hewlett Packard is now sold or, yeah. is, or in, uh, dis- decomposed <laughs> yeah, into two pieces. Correct. Um,
0: correct.
1: So, A bit like maybe AMP, right?
2: Yeah. Well, at least well, they have two. They have two companies that mm. you, they were split into two companies. Yeah. Yeah. So at least those two companies are around. But yeah, like you know, Hewlett Packard, um, and uh, I guess mm. um, IBM are the two that come to my mind.
1: It's a tough one. I don't hold that much hope for AMP. It's possible even that we lose the brand as, as the businesses gets sold off into, into their uh, parts and particularly if they're bought by other trade buyers who want to roll of the funds management business together. And it's a decent question right after so many scandals, after so long being irrelevant to many people, other than other than people who grew up with the name, it's you do want to know what the brand actually stands for, right? Not much good. It's conflicted financial advice. The company got got given grief at the Royal Commission. Um, the company that should have, could have, would have, didn't. At some point, the brand, I'm not sure if it's a net negative, but it's not worth a whole lot anymore.
2: Yeah, I think that's correct. Can um, stuff like that happens, but hopefully it it's a small portion for people's portfolios. Well, it would, if you had a decent position, then it would have become a small position. Yeah, so that, that's the, yeah. I mean, that's the, uh, yeah, but- and it's a good reminder.
1: It is a good reminder. It's a good reminder. Speaking of uh, things becoming large, going from large to small, it's to going from small to large, mate. Buy now, pay later. Uh, it, it, you know, to have to pay something has almost become a verb like to Google something. Uh, you know, the the BNPL acronym is known by almost everybody these days, know who reads the financial press anyway, such is its prevalence, such as its share price gain. It's deserving of, of mention just because of the sheer, I was going to say gains, certainly gains up until this week and a bit of falls this week so far. So volatility maybe rather than just pure gains. Been all over the place, mate. After pay, knocked on the door of hundred bucks. I don't know if I actually ever got there. You watch it more closely than I did. Maybe it did for a short time. Um, zip, sizzle, Open OpenPay, split it. Um, it's all anyone wants to talk about right now. So I guess we should, <laughs> because people are asking about it. We certainly uh, we had a monthly full platinum event actually last night. So we recorded as I said on on uh, Thursday, the third of September, uh, and and that was a really super popular yeah, conversation as well. Um, the the whole sector, mate, is is fascinating. I am on record as saying Afterpay, like probably Fortescue before it, maybe CSL before that, um, one of the rare, rare Australian businesses that goes on to genuinely have a uh, an innovative product that is upsetting the, the global apple cart in, in a meaningful way, right? You think about the you know, Fortescue building, a, building an iron ore business from literally nothing and becoming one of the biggest four iron ore providers. Afterpay being, I think the only company I can think of in the modern era to genuinely challenge the, um, maybe since PayPal, the the kind of payment dominance of of the big guys between the f networks and and the credit card companies. Um, It's taken a whole lot of people with it. It's trying to get into the US. Um, (laughs) I'm not sure what the question is other than what do you make of the least last couple of weeks of action in the buy now, pay later space?
2: Well, a lot of, lot of lot has been happening in the buy now, pay later space. So uh, a couple of things. So I think they had really good results um, or, or at, at least, you know, great customer growth, great, mm-hmm. uh, you know, retail um, you know, r- availability growth in terms of where Afterpay is accepted. Um, the underlying sales volumes have gone up, you know, like more than 100%. Phenomenal.
1: <laughs> so,
2: so phenomenal. Um, the, the interesting news uh, yesterday the day before was that PayPal, which you just mentioned, has mm-hmm. launched its own buy now, pay later. Yeah, that is fascinating. Um, that's fascinating. Uh, I mean, that's fascinating to me in a couple of different ways. One is it almost legitimizes the fact that buy now, pay later is here. It yes, almost absolutely. makes me feel that PayPal thought that if we don't get into this, mm-hmm. um, we can we can become irrelevant. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, and I think PayPal is an interesting example because for whatever you think about PayPal. PayPal is not the same thing as a Visa or MasterCard, right? right so PayPal right. doesn't own the network. It's right. payment methodology, payment, you know, mm, mm, mm. Uh, platform mm. for enable payments and exchange mm. of payments and mm. things like that. Um... It's it's a lot more like Tyro, for example, than like Visa yeah, or Mastercard, right, right. right? So if you're a company like that and you uh, and you could become potentially relevant because nobody customers don't want to use it, <laughs> yeah, use you, right. and and uh, and, uh, and and merchants don't want to use yeah, you yeah. because uh, guess what? There's another way of yeah. doing it.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: And then you can become irrelevant yeah, And yeah. if that's the case, you need to compete. You need so in that that's space, right. That is very interesting to me in my mind. And the I mean, there's mm. a gazillion. There are gazillion players in this by now period sector so now that you have a gorilla enter it's going to be very interesting because there's a gorilla and then there's like the thought leader and you know maybe it's a duopoly Mm -hmm. and the the question in my mind is you know what is how is this fight going Mm -hmm. to evolve and shape up over time Um, certainly uh, PayPal has the balance sheet Mm -hmm. and the profits and the cash flow to actually have buy now payload as a lost leader product just to grow it so that's the interesting thing in my mind. Uh, valuation is really uh, this sort of thing. Is valuation is really hard. I mean, I mean, you know, if Buy Now Pay Later could replace in theory all of PayPal, yeah. um, then you know, PayPal's you know, there's a lot more room to run, right? So that's another way to think about the, you know, you th- you think about like a twenty billion dollar company and mm-hmm. compare that. I don't know how much PayPal is, but PayPal probably easily is around. Two hundred billion or something like that, right, or right, right. one hundred fifty billion. I would guess. Let me have a look. So uh, uh, a yeah, 200, 250 billion. Oh, yeah, well right? done. So, now say that. if you if you compare, and that's U.S. Yep, right. Yep. So compare PayPal with, uh with Afterpay. Yeah, Afterpay yeah. is really going after PayPal. Yeah, that is potentially like a ten bagger mm-hmm. or more, fifteen bagger if you think about the exchange rate, right. Yep. So, uh, I I think this is really interesting. It it validates Afterpay mm. at the same time it mm-hmm. raises the risk um it raises the risk for all the other competing forces yeah Yeah. um it raises regulatory risk as well
1: yeah yeah i completely agree i think that the it does exactly both of those things right i i have been convinced for a very long time not very long time months it feels like a long time in this coronavirus world um i'm convinced that 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 splitting of payments becomes the future um because it's provided by one person and it's desired by customers and the competitors have to respond. I'm not surprised to see Afterpay respond. I don't know the end game here, mate. I've got to say, if you play this all the way out, I can imagine a scenario where every bank and every credit card company simply offers something similar as a matter of course to be relevant. You know, that at some, that at some future point, uh, you know, 99% of our purchases are are effectively deferred over multiple weeks. Now, bottom line, by the way, it makes no difference, right? Because the total amount of money we spend, we're just kind of putting putting all of us on, on kind of one month overdrafts for all of our spending, <laughs> maybe except for mortgages, but um, maybe the ATO doesn't like over, over overdraft spending either. Let's find out. But at some point, you know, if it becomes common practice, does that, I mean, I, want, I say on one hand, that does absolutely say, well, hey, Afterpay's the leader, it gives it more room to run, it legitimizes it, it makes it more likely. On the other hand, by the time X number of competitors offer it, then, you know, if PayPal uses it, then Commonwealth Bank might offer it, then Amex might offer it, and then, I don't know, Apple Pay might offer it just to pick pick four and not not be Apple pay in particular or, or, you know, since it's just they should or shouldn't or they are or they're not going to. But at some point, you know, a bit like, you know, Kleenex became Australian for tissue <laughs> in, a, in a way that actually then eroded the brand value or everything's a Band-Aid, not the Band-Aid brand. Um, you, you know, if, if you look at five years, if, if you know, more than X percent of our, our business is being done in some sort of standard deferred payment by multiple providers, does after have enough reason for being left? the merchants start saying, well, hang on, I'm not going to pay you X percent if I can get it from everybody else in the, in the market. I'm going to say to my customers, look, dude, you can use your Commonwealth Bank Air Force account and do the same thing and I don't have to pay the bill or or whatever. Um, does that at some point threaten Afterpay's model or is it is it got enough brand equity and kind of lead to, to keep winning that race?
2: So that's the hard question. I think like how much can the um how much can you actually get in terms of like you know mm. the, the transaction price from the merchant right that's yeah, really yeah. the question and how much squeeze there's going to be um, I think there's going to be a margin squeeze over time but right. as, as the margin decreases on that you'd think the volume also increases yeah right? yeah great yeah so if the volume yeah. goes up if if you think of all the all the transactions that happen today mm. that don't go through BP and L <laughs> and actually eventually go through BPNL you could actually have like 1.5 percent as the fee, yeah right, right? Okay. and that will be fine
1: yeah makes sense I think yeah I think that's right I, I have no view on that by the way I have literally' got no 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 um, no view as to how that, how that plays out, but it's certainly going to be a fascinating, fascinating one to watch. Speaking of which, Parliament last night, so again, we're recording this on Thursday, last night released a report saying basically they were happy with the way buy-now pay letter was regulated uh, and that they felt that was reasonable to give afterpay and its ilk a bit of a free kick. But at some point, the regulator should be responsible for deciding when... Those rules should change. That They didn't want to stifle innovation. I know that's something you've talked about before, so they're on, on your page. But they did also kind of leave the door open a little bit to kind of invite the regulator to recommend regulation. Um, you mentioned PayPal and the possibility of regulation there. You and I have long said, or we've said in the past, mate, unless you've used change, that I, I, I personally. I won't, I won't put these words in your mouth, I'll put them in mine, then I'll, then I'll bring you in. Um, I absolutely think these guys should be regulated because they're a debt provider. Any debt provider should be regulated, to my view, not, not give it a free pass because there's no official interest in our quotes being charged. Um, so I think they should be regulated. But you and I have agreed in the past that such regulation would actually benefit the incumbents because it would make them more legitimate. It would give them uh, their competitors a, a higher bar to clear and kind of bring them in with the big boys in a way that, you know yes, they might chafe at the, at the regulation, but- as, as the incumbent we've seen you know Facebook and others say yeah we want more regulation which is partly a recognition of the zeitgeist and partly a recognition that the more they can help set the rules and, and be subject to them the harder it is for other players to kind of pop up and meet the same regulatory requirements
2: yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I mean, the problem with regulation is the people making the reg- regulation often have no clue of how what they're regulating, right? I mean, um, in general, right? The, and the reason behind that is regulation is often backward looking, right? It mm. looks at what is going on today and tries to regulate that. Mm. It, the net effect of that often regulation is the regulation actually creates, stifles innovation. Yeah. Um, so I'm not a big fan of regulation as such, but as you said like I mean you know if if it's a credit product of some form then you regulate it at least in some way mm. and if you regulate it it basically helps again the the leaders so I mean you have to balance the the needs of customers the needs of innovation mm-hmm. and and therefore the intervention you know I'm I'm not a big fan of regulators as, as such mm. um but yeah there's there's probably a Nice middle ground here. But I think I agree with you that if there is regulation, a heavy handed regulation of some form, it actually only helps the incumbents, Mm -hmm. which um, you know, in a strange way might actually help after pay.
1: You'd think so, and it certainly gives them a, a yeah. more stable footing to start from. And frankly, also makes any other potential competitors, either bank or otherwise, by the way, um, come up with a better you know, a, a new way. And we talked about calcified old businesses. Um, changing the game has already worked for them to some degree. If you lock them in with regulation, it makes it harder again. But we shall see. We shall see. Mate, um speaking of companies doing well, <laughs> this this is uh, so we have a we have a um, a group of people in the US, now, our sister company in the US who also do a podcast and um, I heard Chris Hill and Jim Gillies talking about this oh Bill Barker, sorry uh, Bill Barker and, and Chris Hill talking about the zoom results and uh, they're saying if this doesn't this zoom quarterly number doesn't put it on the Mount Rushmore of all quarterly results ever from large US companies uh, it would be a phenomenal surprise Zoom managed to grow revenue at 340 percent after growing a hundred percent the previous period so it doubled and then quadrupled effectively let's um let's not draw too fine a, too fine a point on it. Um, that in itself is phenomenal for a business that's already doing billions of dollars. Its shares shot up in a single day, 40%. This is no fly-by-night new tech. I mean, it's new tech at business, but it was already bloody expensive. It's already 10-bagged since the IPO of a couple of years ago. Um, what a phenomenal, phenomenal quarter from Zoom.
2: Yeah, like, you know, I tweet about it. And one of the things that I, I mentioned, if you just look at the free cash flow as a fraction of – as a percentage of revenue mm. you you know your mouth just opens and i don't know when <laughs> how it closes um it was 56% or something like that you know so if you, Converting fifty-six percent of your revenue to free cash flow—that mm. is just unbelievable. Mm. Uh, as a business, you'd expect that. You know, mm. basically a digital business—they um, should be able to convert after you know fixed costs relative, mm. <laughs> right? Mm. As they scale, they should be having a lot more dollars, right, right, right? You know, convert to free cash flow.
1: And I swear to God, how hard can it be to take money to let people just talk over the internet infrastructure that's already there? I mean, I, I'm simplifying dramatically, but you can't imagine how. I mean, it's done uh, no marketing because everyone knows Zoom. Uh, people are signing up at a rate of knots because they're throwing money at the company. Uh, I mean, to your point, the, the, f- the numbers are phenomenal. By the same token, they kind of should be, right? But but equally, that's money being made by shareholders.
2: Yeah, like uh, I mean, again, like it looks, you know, relatively expensive. What I don't know what the trailing—I forgot what the trailing revenue numbers were. they are you know, zeros
1: on the. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
2: but the trailing numbers probably around you know three four billion or something like that might be the trailing revenue. Uh-huh. Um, you know, so this must be on some <laughs> gazillion times mm-hmm. multiple. Like, look again. It, like, I've looked at this business a number of times, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, as a pro- user of the product, I like the product, um, and I said pass. Yeah. The, but I don't know. Like, I mean, if you are the leader,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and you are you, you know, people are buying your stuff because, like, because that's what people do. Mm you basically are winning right I mean it's it's the same That's thing huge. as it's, it's, it's huge because it's the same thing as saying you know what is the difference between Zoom and Google Search mm, mm. at a very high level zero yeah right right because
1: not the company well at a, <laughs> at at a very high level
2: <laughs> at a very high level there's no difference between the Google Search right uh, and any other search algorithm Google search is just more valuable because mm-hmm. you know you have a little bit more data, a little more people coming to it. Google is the way
1: people slightly better quality, better brand recognition. It's a verb itself. Yeah, you but know, you, but, you that, just go but there because you do it there.
2: Yeah, but that has happened over time. Yeah, right. Yeah. But but at at you know in the early years there was no reason to believe, at least in my mind, mm. that you know it's, it's the algorithm. Somebody else can come up with the same algorithm, or some modified mm, version mm, of that mm. algorithm that is very similar. That, you know, have the same infrastructure. Right. So it's some of these things are. I think there's a big, huge luck factor in many things, Mm, right? mm. You might have a very good product, but it getting brand recognition is something, Mm. right? And once it gets brand recognition, becomes sort of the verb that everybody talks about. You know, you're just zooming these days, right? You're not making a video call; you're you're zooming. That is huge recall value. All Mm. of a sudden, you don't need to do money marketing to get people in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then once you're zooming and zooming works, yeah. why would you go to something else? Yeah, for sure, right? And the something else for you to go it has to be substantially cheaper for mm. you to actually make. It. And you wouldn't have know what that sub- something else is, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. people are zooming. Yes, so, right. so I think that's the you know. And when you're in that situation and you're that profitable mm. a company, you know, maybe the multiple is not not that bad. So that's how I look at it. Mm. I still don't own shares. Uh, you know, uh, my theory with these things is that. You, know, you can't have every winner in your portfolio mm. and you wouldn't have every winner in your portfolio yeah. and it's okay sometimes to say a pass <laughs> as long as you keep your winners and you yeah. hold on to them yeah. uh, that's fine so that's you know but I, I think it's a phenomenal business there are very few businesses of this caliber mm. generating that kind of free cash flow uh, it deserves the multiple I mean
1: and the difference I will throw at you with, with Zoom mate, just for fun just for the conversation I think it's real but it, maybe it's not a big enough deal is I don't pay for Google and Someone else pays for Google. The, the search, you know, the search finders pay for Google. The network effect works because more people are there, which makes my search more valuable, makes my search more likely to be right, all the stuff that goes with that. If you started, uh, you know, Doc Video messaging tomorrow, and it was as good, but it was cheaper or free, uh, I think there's, a, I think there's no sort of reason to switch per se, but no reason to stay with Zoom. That Zoom doesn't offer me as a as a user anything that an, that an equivalent. If you said to me tomorrow, hey, the Motley Fool's moving to Doc Video. I'd be like, okay, does it work as well as Zoom? Yeah, it's fine. Okay, cool. I'll change. There is, there's no tie at all for me to stay with Zoom, particularly if I've got a corporate account and I'm paying for it. Other than, you know, maybe no one got fired for buying IBM, so maybe no one gets fired for using Zoom at the office these days because everyone does. But the, to the extent Zoom becomes its own a bit, like afterpay, its own its own adjective, its own verb, its own kind of you know, let's zoom it. Let, let's let's zoom on on Doc Video. Um, You know, might might well be the next next passphrase. I just, and again, look, maybe I'm bitter because I missed the gains. I'm not sure, but I've never the reason I didn't buy, it, never bought it, is because I've never known, never really understood why it has any sort of competitive advantage whatsoever when it comes to keeping customers against an alternative product. It it does. It just feels to me like it's great, it's fantastic. We use it, I like it, it's wonderful. There's no reason for me to change necessarily, but if we did tomorrow, or someone invited me to a call on Doc Video tomorrow, I would say, no, no, let's use Zoom. I'd rather use that. Please, I'm like, yeah, sure, if it works, let's do it. Um, I I don't see why it has any lock at all on any of its revenue moving forward. And I I find that, that's why I find it hard to to pay any price for it because I just simply don't know which competitor pops up next year, the year after this year, who's already out there, who's about to steal Zoom's lunch. Um, if, If Microsoft makes their team's product completely free and I've got to pay for Zoom or something different, it just, it feels like something that's just so ripe for disruption as much as it's been the disruptor. I just see no stickiness at all in terms of, what is defenses against a potential competitor for cheaper for free just because it's different um all the same to me
0: yeah
2: what am I so missing? yeah so i think those are all great points so here's some counter arguments to that so number one i think the basic assumption you're making is mm. that it is relatively easy to do a good video product right that somebody else can do a relatively good video product
1: I, so I think it's me- pretty high that that uh, yeah yes i think I t- i'm not sure that i'm not saying it's easy necessarily the odds are pretty high. I think that among everybody in tech right now, somebody's working on a product that could be at least be the equal, if not better, just almost by definition. And I don't think there's any secrets or Zoom has that it can't, that it can always maintain against the march of technology. You know, to imagine it always might be the best. Video software, I think, takes a decent leap of faith because there's nothing kind of locking about it. But again, uh, you might, you would no bother me. So tell me why. So, I'm wrong.
2: so so here's one way to think of the the state of art before um, mm. Zoom, right? I mean, you have Skype, kind of crappy uh, relative to Zoom. Uh, so why is Skype not as good, mm. right? Mm. I mean, so there's, sure, sure. there's so there is an element of product build. There's mm. an element of some underlying technology. I've heard that they have got some very good implementations of the um the the video codec that they're actually oh, using okay, cool. for so I mean again is that elite mm, that somebody mm. can't break I'm sure somebody can but here's the thing right who I always ask this question who can disrupt at this point in my mind mm. a small startup mm. a video only company is unlikely to be that. like I mean we use yeah, slack if right. we use slack in our company right yep. but we don't we do. use slacks video correct right Correct. we use Zoom. Yep. Why? Because Slack's video is just not as good yes, correct. as yep.
1: Zoom. Also, also Zoom, to some degree, it just has different functionality, like you can invite other people externally more right. easily, right. bring someone right. to a Slack call in your organization is harder. But yeah, you're right. That's right. absolutely right. true. So
2: so that's the thing, right? So I mean, so there, it is not that easy in that sense. Number two, mm. that is Teams, I think, is definitely a competing product, equally mm. good. Mm. Um, mm. I think here's the problem. For a typical large company like Microsoft, mm do you really think that they're interested in, you know a, a, in furthering teams versus furthering say Azure, right? They have bigger fish to fry. Mm. Every oh, company, totally. yeah, so yeah. like it yeah. is, I think, the companies that can replace and create a product. Yeah. Apple could create one tomorrow totally. if it wanted to. Totally. Uh, Microsoft has a product, yep. it just doesn't have the bandwidth to sell it because you know they have so many other things. Every company chooses what they want to do, mm, 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 right? For sure. And, and f- the bigger the company, the bigger, the movement needs to be, you know, for like, for like an app, a couple of billion dollars is nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. do I really need those couple of billion yeah, Do, right, I, do right. I have to, you know, put <laughs> exactly. that, like R&D for that? Yeah, yeah, no, I yeah, need something yeah. that's going to give me tens of billions yeah. and tens of billions relatively quickly right so that's the thing uh the way right. i understand microsoft is going around this is they're basically bundling it as a part of their you know 365 package they're trying to do you know this part of the exchange their part of, they're, they're trying to sell this in package format with uh, their slack competitor which is basically teams right. uh it is just not clean it's not a clean video product in that sense right, right. so you know it looks to me there's going to be two com- competitors and 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 google you know tries to get into consumer products and it's always a horrible failure it's got mm-hmm. something It's it's Constantly pushing people into this Google Meet thing, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
2: So, I think that's. I think the reality is that the people who can compete are not focused, mm, mm. and the people who could have competed, I think, they have been left behind. It's basically the 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 valley, uh, you know, the point at which the transformation happens has happened. For you know, basically, Zoom is now self sustaining in many ways. Yeah. Right, it's profitable, it's generating cash flow, it doesn't need advertisement. It can. Mm, mm. This doesn't mean that this is going to continue forever. Correct.
1: Yeah. This is going
2: yeah. to continue, but can continue for a long time.
1: I absolutely can. Right? Yeah, for sure. Right? So
2: for it can sure. continue for the next five years. Yeah, yeah, And uh, maybe next five years they do improve their product substantially. So, you, again, yeah. you're making the assumption that they're going to be standstill, right? Yeah. Yeah. If, you know, they could improve their product substantially to become an even better product and therefore stay in the race and stay ahead. Yeah, very so cool. that's the, those are the things. I mean, it's exactly those reasons, you know, what's the moat, right? I, I think there are. Fundamentally now I've come to the view that this question, asking the mo- what is the moat, mm. will almost always mean that you don't invest in any company that is building a moat. Mm. Right? Which would almost always mean that you'd miss all the early stage companies because they do not have mm. a moat. Mm. Right? Because those are but those are the disruptive companies that are going to disrupt. Mm. And and as I like to say, in in today's climate, there may be four companies mm. that can do anything. But even they can't do anything because they have to choose. Because at their scale, yeah. they just can't be doing everything.
1: I'm going to, again, not just disagree with you, but but just to pass that a little bit. I actually, I completely agree with your point about innovative companies don't have moats by definition because they're building businesses. Like, I think that's absolutely true. There are businesses though that you can imagine are building into moats because of the nature of their business models. And I'm still, maybe 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 Zoom never has one, maybe it never needs one because it just stays ahead. Maybe, maybe just staying ahead is its own moat, right? Um, but at some point, you know, you could maybe this, maybe this is hindsight bias, right? but if you pick if you pick businesses that are building so MongoDB business you like, um, database company in the US building an entirely different style of database, and it's doing so in a way that because of the network infrastructure is its own moat, right? You you're either like it, you don't. Either so better better mousetrap or it's not. There's stuff that's protected by IP law. There are there are reasons why it can build a business that if it's successful, has it hasn't got a moat yet? No. Could it build? Is it building towards a mode? I think pretty much. Yeah. Now I have no view on whether it will succeed or not. You just because I don't know the I don't know the tech. You know the tech much better than I do. I accept your your version of it. By the way, I'm just saying. From me, I can make no independent assessment because I don't know. Um, but but in Zoom's case, I don't even see it building towards a mode. To me, it makes it a much lower quality business because of that lack of defensiveness built into it as it grows. You know, business growing. To, Google had no mode until it did. Um, but you can kind of imagine how a network effect might grow. Facebook versus MySpace, same thing. You yes, get to a certain scale. You know, MySpace never got there. So, but you could see, what you know, can make an argument to buy MySpace, even if you were wrong. And so say, look, more and more people, more network effect, MySpace could be huge. It wasn't at the end, but I can imagine doing that and getting it wrong. Zoom, I still just can't work out. You know what, what? the defensiveness of its business might again, maybe someone's working on something, as you say, deep in the bowels of Zoom headquarters, um, to make it that way. But I, I just can't for the, You know, I, I, you want to see business building into a mode, I thought, or at least that would be the hot, the upper echelon of the businesses that you buy, right? The ones that. R zoom plus a moat, or or you know zoom and and digging a moat as they go. This one doesn't seem to be doing that.
2: Yeah, so look, I, I, look, I'm not disagreeing with you. I personally, as I said, don't mm-hmm. own the stock, right? I, I don't. I'm, I'm not a holder. I'm not bought. I don't plan to buy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, as, as you just mentioned, MongoDB, I do own MongoDB, mm-hmm. and and for some of those reasons, my view with software, really at a very high level, is a simple one. Mm. My own preference for software is what I call, um, you know, the application level software, or yeah, okay. not. Not actually. Let me rephrase that. So, application level software is stuff software that people are using on a day-to-day basis, right? Mm-hmm. So, there's there's direct interaction okay. with the customer. Uh, Microsoft
1: which, Office, Google.
2: Yeah. So, I actually do not prefer those because. Okay. In my view, those are easier to disrupt, exactly for whatever okay. reason you are saying, like Zoom. My own preference is to buy software that's hidden, which I call like the middle layer software, right? Okay. It's a software that is working behind the scenes because that requires two levels of disruption. It requires disruption at the user level, mm-hmm. and it requires disruption at the developer level, right? right? Yeah. Developers need to change, right. and the users need to be unhappy, okay. right? If the users are unhappy, developers <laughs> are not order to change, and you yeah, know, right. it's a really complex. Once you get into that thing, yeah. it, so, so database software like, like MongoDB, if, if developers are happy, and the users of those products, which the developers are developing, are happy. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to get out, and those tend to be really sticky. The converse is that they're also harder to win. The battles actually continue right, for a long course. time. Yeah. But those are the companies yeah, that can okay, deliver thirty percent right, right. growth for an infinitely long yeah. period of time, right?
1: And and, and a moat at the same time, right? They're actually adding them, adding to that moat. Yeah, mode it's that, it's incredibly sticky. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah.
2: incredibly sticky. It's incredibly, you know, uh, you know, capital light mm-hmm, at that in mm-hmm. that sense. So those are the ones I like to own. The types of Zoom, I you know, I don't think I have like for the equivalent of Zoom. I like to own products which I call um, have customer fanatism. like you yeah, know, yeah, so nice. stuff like say Apple, where people yep. would line up. Totally.
1: Um, but Tesla, where people are sending fifteen hundred bucks in advance of a car that might come in a few years' time. Yeah, like, that so, is amazing. So, yeah,
2: so those are, those sort are of things, uh, things, but yep. you know, like st- and and where there is, I guess, product optionality or multiple things that is happening, yeah, uh, nice. right? So that, that gives you a little bit. Zoom doesn't fit that bill for me, mm, but here's the mm, thing: I'll say in favor of Zoom, um, if you generate that kind of cash, yeah. your balance sheet <laughs> is going to have billions of dollars of cash. Right, right. You're throwing billions of dollars of cash.
1: Right, right.
2: You can you can take it like a death you know death punch yeah, yeah. and come back to yeah,
1: life. Yeah, right. Okay. So
2: it's it's an in, like you know in, like I'm a big fan of businesses that generate that kind of cash yeah. that have cash on their balance sheet that have like. You know, it is a phenomenal business, mm, right? Mm. And yep, no, that's why there. people are willing to pay phenomenal multiples because it's a phenomenal yeah. business. I mean, what you want to own that or Commonwealth Bank? Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah, it's not a comparison at all, mm,
1: right? Mm, so mm. I think that's the difference. Very good. You know, Stop giving me grief about Zoom now, mate. We've got time, I reckon, for maybe one, maybe even two marbad questions. Let's see how we go, mate. The, my first, the first one is my favourite one we've got so far. Um, and it's a reminder to me that we often, uh, I don't think this was tongue-in-cheek, this is a genuine question, and it reminds me that often we don't explain our terms as much as we should, or maybe just I don't explain mine as much as I should. Question from Lockie uh, during the week, mate. G'day, Scott and Doc. What does it actually mean to stay foolish? Cheers, Lockie. He says, hashtag, get Doc in my DMs. DMs being direct messages, I assume, Lockie. Um so, maybe uh, deeper meaningfuls, maybe, whatever you like, but I, I'm pretty sure it's direct messages. Um, so, I, lo- I love our hashtags, mate. There's a couple of good ones coming up too on Sunday. So, stay tuned for those. They're a bit of fun. Um, I like the question. I, I'm going to have a go at this, mate, but I want you to have a go first. What does it mean to stay foolish?
2: Oh, it means many, many different things. So, I mean, number one, I think is, you know, think about business a little bit more holistically, right? I mean, don't think of them as tickers. Think of them that you own this business and you, how would you approach something if you're an owner? If you're, if you're a small mm. business owner, you would, you know, you would watch it, you would not really react to, you know, short-term uh, issues. You'd be willing to, you know, ride out uh, a volatile period. You would probably reinvest in the business. And if those mm-hmm. sort of things are happening in a business that you have a partial share of, then, you know, you would, just let it be i think uh, i think those are the things and then you know so you 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 spend responsibly you 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 save you save you invest you do that regularly over a period of time you find the businesses you like to follow you watch them you know you can study them over a period of time so it's it's all those you know you study learn and invest over a period of time and, and you just keep this very long time frame in mind and, and I think you also acknowledge at the same time that there are multiple ways in which people can go about doing this. There's no one particular formula method. You know, you find your way um, to run the race, and it's it's really not a race; it's marathon. So you, you know, you find your way mm-hmm. to basically participate in the marathon and do good
1: by yourself. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I like that, mate. I got a couple of comments on what you said because I love that answer. Um, I love the I love the race marathon idea. To my mind, it's not even a, a marathon as much as it is a. a, a a race with yourself, um, you know, trying to be the single best at anything is probably, it's a worthy goal, but letting, letting others kind of dictate, you know, the, the risk that you throw good money after bad, trying to chase somebody else who's making a couple of dollars more than you are this month or this quarter or this year can also be painful. So I, I would say absolutely, but you know, r- race against yourself, be as good as you can without necessarily worrying about the envy component of investing because that can really bring you unstuck. If you if you saw after pain, you missed it like I did, being tempted to throw money at the next big buy now, pay later just in case it's the next afterpay, it's probably a terrible idea. Um, you are much better finding the next afterpay in some other industry that's gonna be you know, the, the the leader and the innovator rather than the, the pay limitation. So just be careful about, about that. Um, but I love the marathon idea. I also love the idea of kind of being holistic about the investing. And I think, look, Lockie, um, if you might not know actually, mate, the, the, the the phrase or the, the name, the Motley Fool, the name of our company actually comes from Shakespeare. And it comes from a particular Shakespearean uh, piece uh, as it turns out, the, the the character of the motley fool is in a few different uh, Shakespearean plays and and and, uh, and dramas, comedies. But uh, but the motley fool was motley, i.e., multicolored, and fool in the language of the day was the court jester. So this was the multicolored court jester, was the motley fool of the day, um, and he was the only person who could tell the king the truth without losing his head. And our business was born. Not out of an investment bank, not out of some uh, shiny bum uh, analysts in in big high rise buildings, but it actually started by two English majors who, yes, had some relatives who were in the stock market, so got an education from their, their family, their father and uncle in particular. Uh, Tom and David Gardner started the business and with a with a mate of theirs, Eric Ridholm, uh, basically to try and do things a bit differently. and And David came up with the the name of the company, the Motley Fool, to kind of just give that sense that we're not trying to copy everybody else. Um, often, they're not very often these days, mate. Uh, but in the in the in the olden days, uh, we used to talk about the wires of Wall Street, capital W wires, and being a fool was being different. It was it was choosing not to accept the. Um, accepted wisdom, the 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 so-called accepted wisdom or common sense of the day, but to really look again and find different ways of doing things. And certainly, um, Doc in particular, and following from David Gardner's lead, a very 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 different investment style than you'll find on most of Wall Street or even in Australia. That's changing, by the way, because it turns out these guys were right, and so um, you know some professional investors are, are finally catching on. Uh, But the idea of of being foolish is just kind of being independent, taking a different view, um, saying the things that need to be said. Uh, I reckon I've probably ruled myself out of more uh, potential jobs in the future than I have actually made myself uh, available for them because I don't mind uh, taking a swing at some people in our industry who aren't doing the right thing. Uh, So it's just just trying to do the right thing, stand up for the individual, little investor, tell the truth regardless of, of the consequence, speak truth to power. So that in a broad sense is what uh, the company tries to stand for uh, and certainly as doc said the sorts of ways we do that are trying to invest in a different way uh, we think a better way a cleverer way we call it foolish capital F foolish rather than lowercase f foolish um to, to sort of talk about you know that's the way we do things as a company we don't have a house view on any single company by the way uh, but we have a reasonable house style or house approach which is to be as doc said be business focused be long term investors try and think through the 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 you know the realities of the businesses themselves as as part owners rather than just looking at uh, squiggles on a screen or moving share price and try and guess or day trade or, or somehow, you know, play silly buggers. We're trying to genuinely think like business owners and, and invest for the long term. And certainly for Doc, certainly for David Gardner and Tom Gardner, our long-term returns have come from exactly that sort of approach. So did I do that justice, mate? I think it did. Beautiful. One more? Can we, I speak uh, one more?
2: Oh. Well, I, I was thinking, this is a good note to end this one.
1: You want maybe to maybe wait till Sunday? Yeah. You're a hard man.
2: But, so, so like it's a special Sunday, it's not really that far away. I mean, you know, how much is the time between a Friday and a Sunday? Not that much. You're
1: a hard man. All right. Well, if Doc says it, it has to be true. That's it for this podcast. If you do want to hear your question answered, or you have some feedback for us, like Lucky, you have a question, feel free to hit us up on all of our various socials and contact spots. If you already know this by heart, then, awesome if not um then listen along um and if you're sick of us saying our apologies but you know it's a free podcast so bear with us if you want to hit us up uh if you're on the emails if that's your that's your only foray into into social media or or, or communication hit us up at info at fool.com.au and our wonderful member services fools will make sure that gets straight to us we have a Slack channel for our podcast questions we'll answer some of those on sunday would have been today, but Doc wouldn't let me. So if you have a problem with that, blame him, not me. Uh, if you want to jump on socials in the meantime, between now and Sunday, if you just can't wait, but you want to talk to Doc, at Anirban Mahanti is his Twitter handle. Mine is at TMF Scott P. The Motley Fools is at the Motley Fool AU. Uh, if you want to go onto the Instagram, I'll use it next because it's easy. The Twitter handles are the same at TMF Scott P, at the Motley Fool AU. Nice and simple. Or on Facebook, our company page is The Motley Fool Australia, all one word. And I'm at Scott Phillips Money, again, all one word. So there you go. Other than that, you're going to have to wait until Sunday, not because I wanted to, because Doc said I had to. Sorry, mate, just throwing under the bus there. Um, In the meantime, don't forget, you can and should subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes, your favourite Android podcast app, or... Go to podcast one, and by the way, we did get some feedback during the week, Doc. Apparently, people missing the Sunday mailbag episodes through Apple Podcasts. Apparently, I'm told if you unsubscribe, delete the podcast, and resubscribe, it solves the problem. So I don't, if, I can't vouch for that. I don't have a, an Apple phone. I certainly haven't had that issue myself. But if you are and have, give that a go. Make sure you don't. Make sure you remember to resubscribe. Don't don't unsubscribe. Then leave it there. That'd be that'd be bad. Uh, so make sure you do resubscribe. But uh, do that on Apple iTunes on the podcast player. Of course, if you like what we're doing, please leave us a review, throw us some stars, and tell your friends. Skywriting, chalk writing, um, speech bubbles. Um, just even tell them. Grab their phone. Grab their phone. Open their podcast app. And do it for them. Subscribe to the Multi Four Money podcast for them. Of course, if they are unhappy about that, blame you, not us, because uh, you know you've got to exercise responsibility. But you know, help them out. Subscribe to them. To subscribe them. To the podcast so they can get a little bit of a foolish straight talk too. And of course, speaking of that, you can get a dose of foolishness straight to your inbox and an offer to join Dividend Investor by going to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Full Money. We'll be back on Sunday with another dose and a bumper dose of foolish insight. Full Fool on. Full on. <laughs>